Great moments are born from great opportunity. Great moments are born from great opportunity. I don't know if you ever have heard that quote, but that was a direct quote from the coach, Herb Brooks, from the 1980 Winter Olympics. Not in the gold medal game, but the game to get into the gold medal. If you're unaware, in 1980, the United States was still playing amateurs in the Olympics, while many of the communist countries around the globe were playing their professionals. In 1980, the United States put together a team of really great quality college boys, some of the best college boys ever to play hockey. But they were going up against a Russian team that was perhaps the greatest hockey team ever. And just as a side note, that hockey team had just spent a couple months playing not just NHL teams, National Hockey League teams, they had been playing NHL All-Stars. And the scores were eight to one, seven to two. The Russians were killing them. Right before the Olympics, Herb Brooks, the coach of the American team, had the United States play the Soviet Union, the Russian team, in an exhibition game in Madison Square Garden, and it wasn't even close, where the Russians just destroyed the Americans. But he gives this very inspirational speech, and he has it immortalized because the United States goes on to win. Now, if you ever get an opportunity to read about it, and I've read several books about it, there's also a Disney movie out called Miracle that I highly recommend. And I recommend it not because it is anything biblical directly, but it is a great book regarding and movie regarding inspirational, very inspirational. But I wanted to hit upon the quote, great moments are born from great opportunity. I believe that is a very strong biblical truth. I believe that is something that I want you to be inspired by today. And I want you to think about this because when you think about a great opportunity, it allows for a great moment. Now, a great opportunity doesn't come out of ordinary events. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, Think about when King David, who wasn't a king but was a young boy, fought Solomon, excuse me, fought Goliath. It's a famous story that most of you know, but you know David goes on to have many battles, many fights, but you never hear about them directly. You hear, oh, he beat the Philistines, but you don't get names per se. Why is this battle, this fight between David and Goliath so significant? It's because of a great situation, great opportunity. You go back and you study the Old Testament context and you see that the armies of Goliath and the armies of the Jews had this incredible standoff 
And they were basically saying that this battle was going to be for the death, but then they put this incredible offer out. Two of our soldiers could come out and fight, and whoever wins, the other army loses. The stakes were incredibly high. And what made it even more incredible was that David was a young man, and we've done a study on this. He wasn't a 10-year-old boy. He wasn't a 12-year-old boy. He could have been in his 20s when he fought. But still, Goliath was a very huge man, very well armored, and David goes out with his five stones, and he has a great victory. Great moments are born from great opportunity. Now, as we start on this Father's Day, this is today a message that I would like to bring to you about one of the greatest choices in all of human history. Today, we're going to study something that's tied to Father's Day, but it's tied to a father's influence. And it's tied to, I believe, one of the greatest moments in all of human history. And what I want to show you today is that this great moment that we're going to study and talk about didn't happen by accident. And if you know about the American Olympic victory with the hockey in 1980, it wasn't an accident. It was incredible preparation. And it inspires people to be people who work hard and be diligent in their preparation. What we're going to look at today is the influence that a father can have upon his family and the influence that he can have in helping when there's a chance for a great moment. Now, let me digress. We're talking about great opportunities. And for me, and for most of you today, that there is the truth in the pattern that we, who are fathers, recognize that being a father is a great opportunity. And obviously, these are my children when they were younger. This is Ellie and Joshua. And now, this is Ellie and Joshua as adults. And the idea is when you look at your children and every father understands this, to be a parent, to influence your children is a great opportunity. And the idea is that when you, when you have the opportunity to be a father, as well as I've got it, a mother, there's a sense and a reality of how much you love your children. When we have children, I've told young parents this, that you get these children brought into your home and you love them more and more every day. And through hard times, through difficult times, you are always committed to that love. And today, I want to discuss that and I want to take you through the godly influence that a father can have and the impact that he can have on his children. And we're going to look at a passage that I want you to understand exhibits how a father can make a great impact upon his child. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the passage in Proverbs chapter 4. But before that, I digress and we talk about 1 Kings chapter 3. Because in 1 Kings chapter 3, as I say, great moments are born out of great opportunity. The individual that's pictured in this drawing 
to the best of my ability, is supposed to be Solomon, King Solomon. So if you could go back in time to around 1000 BC, when Israel was now the major world power, and I want you to think about it, in the history of mankind, you had the Egyptians come on the scene, and God works with the Exodus to bring them out the devastation of the nation of Egypt, then the Assyrians rise in power, and eventually the world power is the nation Israel under King David. God has his hand upon it, but when you come to 1 Kings chapter 3, David has died. And David has numerous children, but God has sovereignly worked it out that ultimately Solomon, out of all of his children, would become king. In 1 Kings chapter 3, and you might want to turn there, 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon is in sleep. He's dreaming, and somehow God uses this incredible power that God has. God comes to Solomon and basically will pick up in verse 5. They're in Gibeon, which is in Israel, and God comes to him, and look at verse 5. It says, ask and I, ask and I will give it to you. Basically, what happens here is that God comes to Gibeon, comes to Gibeon where Solomon is, and says, ask for anything. Verse six, Solomon replied, you have shown much loving devotion to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, righteousness, and uprightness of heart. And you have maintained this loving devotion by giving him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Verse seven, and now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in my father David's place. But I am only a little child, not knowing how to go out or come in. Now, when he says he's a little child, we know, and you can do a detailed study on this, he's about 20 years old. He's not seven or eight or 12 even. He's about 20 years old. But he looks at himself, and he looks at himself as youthful and inexperienced. So he says, I'm only a child, not knowing how to go out or come in. Your servant is here among the people. You have chosen a, a people too numerous to count or number. Verse 9, therefore, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern the great people of yours? It's a great opportunity. I want you to think about that because the reality of it is, is all of us would love for God to come and say, ask whatever you want. I want you to think about that. Verse 10, now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had made this request. So God said to him, since you have asked for this instead of requesting long life or wealth for yourself or death for your enemies, but you have asked for discernment to administer justice, behold, I will do what you have asked and I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there has never been nor will ever be another like you. Verse 13, moreover, I will give what you did not request, both riches and honor, so that during all your days, no man in any kingdom will be your equal. So if you walk in my ways and keep my statues and commandments, just as your father David did, I will prolong your days. If you were to ask people, and I've done this recently, 
Why did he choose wisdom? Why did Solomon choose wisdom? A lot of people will say, well, he loved the Lord. Even in the context you say it, he loved the Lord. He wanted to worship the Lord. He felt inadequate, fine. He was humble, fine. All could be true, but those were not the primary reason, I believe at all. I believe that there's another reason. And I want this to be something that is indelibly impressed upon all of you. Now, let me just digress one other second. If God were to come to you and say, ask for anything, it is something that we all play with, don't we? It is something that when I was a kid, we used to, coming from a non-religious home, we used to play the game if a magic genie, like if you're watching the movie Aladdin or something or reading a book about Aladdin and, and you were told, hey, you can rub this magic lamp and a genie pops out and all of a sudden you can have three wishes. I always think that we were the ones who invented the idea when you come to the third wish, you ask for more, <laughs> right? And, and then eventually I started to see this on TV and movies where they, that became like the rule where the genie would say, you can't have a third wish. I mean, you can't have, you can't ask for more wishes. Okay, that's just a side note. But great moments are born from great opportunity. And none of us have ever had that opportunity to have the opportunity to have a genie come to us because genies are really make-believe. But Solomon gets that offer. He gets an offer not from a genie, but from the true and living God. Was Solomon's choice an accident? Was it just a lucky guess? Was it, gee, I think I'll do this because it's the humble thing to do? And to me, the answer, 100%, is no. This morning, I want to show you the influence of David, a father. And what we're going to look at is Proverbs chapter 4, so turn there. And I want you to see what David did as a father as he taught his child, Solomon. Solomon writes the book of Proverbs, the majority of the book of Proverbs. Solomon's Proverbs, we know, are numerous based upon what wisdom God gave him. And we don't have all the Proverbs that are written that were given by Solomon, but the ones that we have are the ones that God wanted in his word. And as Solomon in chapters one through nine has this one theme, it's this theme what I want you to do is understand the importance of wisdom. He tells us now about his youth in chapter 4. And we're just going to read verses 1 to 13. And it says this. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father. So Solomon is speaking. The man who goes on to become the wisest man ever after God grants him that grace out of 1 Kings 3. And give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do you know what sound teaching is? Healthy teaching. Healthy. Teaching that blesses you. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, so when I was a little boy, is what he is saying, then tender and the only son in the sight of my mother. Remember, his mother is Bathsheba. But Solomon has multiple children, but obviously he is making the rounds and he comes to Solomon. Verse 4, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Well, 
live is the idea of this is the way to go and this is the way to be blessed and this is the way to have longevity. Verse five, acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. Verse seven, the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom and with all your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. Verse 10, hear my son and accept my sayings and the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded and if you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go, guard her for she is your life. What we're gonna study today is the teaching of a godly father as modeled by David and Solomon. We're gonna look at two principles that I believe run through this. I'm just gonna summarize these as we go through this. And I believe as Solomon is hearing from his dad, a father, it is pick wisdom. We tell the story over and over how Solomon picked that when God came to him and said, you pick anything. It was driven into him over and over and over and over and over by not just anyone, but at that time, the most powerful king in the entire world. Solomon, listen to your dad. Pick wisdom, acquire it, go for it, get it. Did Solomon... Did David know that Solomon was ever going to get that choice? No. But it was more from the idea of study, learn, pursue God. What were the two principles? Number one, David explains the incredible benefits. If you have your sermon notes, fill in the blank. Should have emphasized benefits, but I wanted to emphasize the idea of incredible. The idea of incredible benefits. And you look at the idea here in Psalm, what is it? What Psalm 103, verse 2. Forget not his benefits, the psalmist writes. The idea is a benefit of the blessings that I find it very fascinating that what God does here through David is he just doesn't say, hey, do this. A lot of times I'll hear, you know, a father will give instructions to his children and his children will say, why? Why do I have to do that? Because I told you. That isn't the whole mindset here. This mindset is, I want you to understand. I want you to grasp the incredible series of benefits. Look at verse four when we start. And all through this section are benefit after benefit after benefit. So when he says, keep my commandments at the end of verse four and live, there is a sense of longevity. And yes, it's the Old Testament economy. And there's a general rule that a person who follows and obeys God will be blessed with a longer life. And so that is true. That is the the general rule. And the idea here is when we look at, obviously, somebody who's a drug addict, somebody who's a drunk, somebody who is a thief, somebody who ends up in prison and all of a sudden they, you know, get into situations where they can get easily killed. Somebody who is a reckless driver and all of a sudden gets in an accident. The idea is is that life is taken away because of foolish choices. And, And the idea is you keep these commandments and you will be blessed. 
As we work through this entire section, you can see blessing after blessing after blessing. As we work down to verse like verse six, do not forsake her, and she will guard you. Think about, you know, we watch celebrities and they have their own personal security team today. The idea of someone always around you guarding you, watching over you, saying, don't do this, don't do that. Hey, danger is ahead. That's what, that is what Proverbs, God's wisdom does. It guards you. And so every father wants his child to be recognizing that I'm not always going to be there with you. I'm not always going to be able to watch over you in every decision. I can't always be there when you put your hand up on the, you know, the stovetop to see if it's warm or not. Or more so later when someone is going to be there to offer you drugs or make you do some kind of, uh, get, get in some nefarious act. Hey, when somebody offers you sex and you're not married, hey, don't go, don't do this. This will guard you from foolish decisions, decisions where all of a sudden you find yourself in financial ruin and emotional ruin, all the bad things that happen. It will guard you. You look over verse six and it says, love her and she will watch over you. I can't always be there, but wisdom is being personified and the benefits of this are incredible. And, and you know, I didn't go through the negative, but the negative on all of these is, is if you, there is no moral neutrality out there, people. If you don't follow this, it is guaranteed that the negative will happen. And I can tell you, everyone that rejects wisdom does not have a blessed life, does not have this watch, anything watching over them, and gets the consequences of the negativity. And so you jump down to verse eight, prize her and she will exalt you. What do you mean exalt you? We'll make you a winner. 10 years ago in our country, there was a drug drunk bum named Mark, um, Charlie Sheen, who was an actor who went around with a t-shirt, always said winning, winning, winning. Well, he was a big loser. The people who are really winning in life don't always make it on the front page of the newspaper, and the, the, the celebrities do, but the reality of it is, is if you want to be a winner in life, you live with wisdom, you practice wisdom, you live with the skill. Remember, wisdom is God's knowledge properly applied, put into practice in the right way, so the way you think, the way you speak, the way you act, and the sins of omission that you have are, are reduced because you're making the right choices. You want to be a winner in life. Son, I want you to be a winner. My goodness, we can all follow sports, and we all understand sports. But also, you know, we have people who go into other kind of competitions and all kind of other contests. We understand when somebody gets exalted. The people who follow God's wisdom are the ones that win in life. And so we look and we say, look, son, it will honor you. Look at verse 8. She will honor you if you embrace her. Now, obviously, it's the choice. Solomon, are you going to take this or not? Are you going to go with this or not? And for us today, we can look at it and we can say, you know, Solomon was the wisest man ever. But we know eventually he's going to have his heart taken away from God. And the choices he's going to make are going to show him to be foolish when he doesn't apply God's wisdom. So it's ultimately, Solomon, your choice. And from a human perspective, as you, a father talks to his son, he says, hey, listen, embrace this. Stay with this. 
So you jump down to verse 9. She will present you with a crown of beauty. You ever look at someone's life and you say, wow, man, they got a beautiful life. They got a beautiful family. These things don't happen by accident. These things aren't just where they roll out. There is over and over and over where people think it just, oh, it just happens. They have a good family. Oh, they've got a good marriage. Oh, they've got good parenting skills. No. These things are, these things of beauty. You know, we have beauty contests, something that's beautiful. But more so, you know, you look at nature and its gorgeousness and you say, can't believe that God put this together. God is saying, you can have a beautiful life. And the people who reject wisdom, the negative, it's not the benefit, it's an ugly life. And so you go through this and you understand that Solomon throughout, really, not just chapter four, but through chapters one through nine, the emphasis over and over is the incredible benefits. And I could have emphasized it over through almost every chapter, through chapters one through nine, and then through the rest of the book. But these are the ones where a father is telling his son, look at all these benefits. Now, if I had to illustrate this, I was thinking to myself, what a better illustration than how a father could actually say, look, I chose wisdom, and it was something that paid off for me. Because that's what a benefit is. And... I thought to myself, first and foremost, you know, when I was younger, when when my children were younger and I put them to bed, often we would read to them when they went to bed. We would tell them bedtime stories. And think about the illustration, you know, when I would put my kids to bed, I would tell them a story and Joshua would say again and again and again, tell the story again. And I would just make something up about some monster or some, you know, great activity or something. And Joshua would say again, again, again. Can you imagine David putting Solomon to bed and saying, David putting Solomon to bed and Solomon say, Dad, tell me, tell me about when you fought Goliath. <laughs> you know, you, sometimes with, you put the kids to bed, maybe I would tell jo- my son the story of David and Goliath. Could you imagine David saying, hey, you know, I fought Goliath and I use God's wisdom. Because you go back and you study the story from the Old Testament, it wasn't a story where Solomon, I mean, where David lived in a vacuum. He practiced God's wisdom. And so I can imagine David putting Solomon to bed and again, again, tell me how you beat Goliath. Tell me how you beat Goliath. Or how about when you got anointed to be king, Dad? What was it like when you were anointed to be king and King Saul was trying to kill you, and you were running from him, and how you constantly applied God's wisdom, and how you were in that cave, and you could have killed him, but instead, you graciously said, I won't kill him, I'll just cut off a piece of his garment, and I'll hold it up, and I'll show him that I could have killed him. And over and over and over, you were using God's wisdom, and you were being more and more empowered amongst the people who saw that you were a a man who feared God, And it was preparing your kingship. It was amazing, God. I mean, amazing, Dad, how you did that, Solomon could say. Tell me again. Tell me again about those stories. And you go back and you read in the book, uh, where where is it? In 1 Samuel, chapters 23, 24, 26, 27. Don't you think David could have told those stories? You could tell those stories to your own children if they're young enough now. 
Or how about, so, about fighting and beating the Philistines? You go back into passages, where do I got it? In 2 Samuel chapter 5, for example. David was an incredible warrior. You study the Old Testament, and when David was a young man, they were singing a song. Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. So Solomon could be put to bed, and David could say, let me tell you about how I use God's wisdom. And it's fascinating. When you study these Old Testament battles, they weren't always, you know, two forces going right up once and against the other. But they are passages on how God's wisdom could be applied. And I think it's like not an accident. I can't remember the chapter right now that talks about how the horse is prepared for battle, but the victory comes from the Lord. And I can imagine Solomon from listening to his dad over and over and over about these battles, thinking, I understand how ultimately through all of this, these choices and these fights and these different situations, God's hand was upon these upon my father so you say today okay well mike i'm not david i'm not somebody who could give these three stories give me some application what can i do well number one this is what you can tell your child about every one of you who's a believer should be able to talk about ways you use god's wisdom that turned out well and i tell you that it is something that each one of you can do obviously mothers can do this as well But we need to continue to put before our children by choosing God's wisdom. This is a situation. This is how I married your mother. This is how I went to work. And, you know, I had an opportunity to to do this or do that. And this is how it paid off for me. This is how I can give you my own personal testimony, son, my own personal testimony, daughter. I believe we can apply this and we can talk about the benefits we don't have to just let the children get this by osmosis no obviously by living in our homes hopefully they'll see the incredible benefits and the reality of it is is that we can be people who can say look i chose this this is a path where i took this passage and i applied it i had an opportunity to maybe steal something from my company And I didn't do it because I remembered this proverb. I remembered this passage and I followed through. And then when everyone else in the company got caught, I didn't. Or this is a situation where, you know, I was trying to figure out who to marry. And and I had many different people I could have chosen to marry. But I went and I chose your mother based upon wisdom. I went through Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 to 31. I made the pick. It isn't an accident that I have the marriage that I have. Or you can say, look, I, I didn't follow wisdom, and I ended up divorced, but now the second time I got married, I recognize some of you are married for the second time. The reality of it is you can say, I chose God's wisdom, and look how much better it paid off. Tell your child about how you use God's wisdom. And if you're a believer and you can't think of anything, you gotta start wondering about where your walk is. Because every day is filled with choices. Every day, this is why I challenge you to read Proverbs. There isn't a day that you don't make thousands of choices. And maybe you're just not thinking about it enough. But if God is secondary in your life, then you're missing out by applying God's wisdom. 
But every one of you should be able to talk about God's wisdom and how it turned out well. But then there's also this. Ways you use God's wisdom that cost you, but you still know you did the right thing. And I think this is important too because the health, wealth, and prosperity movement of today would say every time you do God's ways, it always turns out well. That's not always true. That's not, there are times, and, and, and I would say personally where I know that I've shared the gospel in a family situation, and next thing you know, I'm cut off from certain members of our family. And, and the reality of it is, is I would much rather have somebody, somebody angry with me all the way to the gates of hell because they know the gospel than somebody not knowing the gospel. And I would much rather have them know how to get to heaven. It's very important. And we, when I, I arbitrarily throw, I throw, I don't arbitrarily, I throw it out that we're Hammond's Bible Church. And it came up to me again last week. And I gotta tell you, somebody recently told me that they're at a, you know, they were going to a church, an evangelical church, and they were telling me about how they've been there for a year, and nobody ever shared the gospel with them. And I gotta tell you that that should not be about any church or anyone that knows every one of you. If you are in a relationship with someone, eventually, Get around to the gospel, sharing that it's by God's grace through faith alone that only through Jesus Christ you can have eternal life. Only through Jesus Christ you can get to heaven. Last night, I was on Facebook. It was 11.01. And I got a blurb that came through. And a good friend of mine, her daughter, wrote on Facebook, my mother is dying would you please write something, anybody, it was a general thing, you know, in her last hours. And I know that this woman, from everything I know, has rejected the gospel. But I can tell you that I wrote this very kind, I love you, I think of you, you've been a very good friend from our college days. And I wrote how much she has meant to me through the years. And I said, in your final hours, may you just find comfort in the Gospels and find comfort in the Psalms. And my hope is that maybe through these last few days, she'll read, someone will read the Gospel and she'll hear it one more time. This is a very popular person. There were over 400 comments on her Facebook page. That's a lot, people. And I went through almost everyone. Nobody else besides me gave her the Gospel. My point in that is We have to understand we are living in a day and age of churches that believe it is offensive to give the gospel, but the gospel is an offense. And there are people who are going to find themselves on judgment day saying, what do you mean God, I'm being sent to hell? Well, I went to church every Sunday. Well, you went to a church that didn't teach the gospel and you had all these Christian friends who never cared about giving the gospel. And I'm telling you, at the end of June here and in through July, we're going to start talking about the gospel. That's one of the things out of our planning session that I came about. I just need you to understand the gospel is the only thing that matters comes judgment day. You're either in or you're out. And I just pray that we'll always be known as a church that gives the gospel. 
in love, in kindness, in sweetness. I mean, my friend who's dying, when her and I went through the gospel 15 years ago, and immediately when she had a question, I pulled out a book and I pulled out a Bible, and she said to me, Mike, how, what do you do? You have a walking library in your car? And I said, I'm always prepared to give the gospel. And that's my hope and my desire for you. Be prepared. We've got tons of free literature. We've got tons of free classes to get you trained. God's word is God's wisdom. And you can tell people, you can tell your children, hey, I took a passage out of Proverbs where it says what? Open rebuke is better than hidden love. That's wisdom. And what do you mean, dad? Because it's important to tell someone something that's gonna rebuke them. If it's better for them, if it's better for them, And yes, it cost me a friendship. Yes, it cost me a relationship in the short term. But my hope and my desire, son, is that these people come to faith in Jesus Christ because nobody else is telling them. Nobody else is telling them. So my hope, my desire, what was the first thing is that you understand, tell your children the benefits of wisdom. And and, and then you can tell your own stories where it turned out well and when it turned out bad, but how you were committed to doing the right thing no matter if it cost you. What else is there? The second principle is he emphasizes God's wisdom above all other pursuits. Now, he's saying choose it, but what this is is where you're running to, what you're doing, and and the entire section here is what what he's going on is, look at verse five, acquire wisdom, acquire, that's get it, get it, get it, get it. That's the idea. This is also taught, I put it up here in Proverbs 16, verses 17 to 33. It's the idea that when we think about great moments are born out of great opportunity, Solomon did not choose wisdom in a vacuum. Solomon did not choose wisdom in a vacuum. It was drilled into him by a father who said, look, this is important. And someone says, well, look, Mike, I just don't have time to pursue wisdom. And I've shared with you my practice. I, I, I would say most of the days, 95% of the days, I wake up and I'm going to read a psalm and I'm going to read a proverb every day. And, and that works for me in the morning. I don't know when it would work for you. But I say again, there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. There are 31 days in most months. And when you have 30 or 28, you can adjust accordingly. But you can read a chapter of Proverbs as well as a passage in the Bible every day. It doesn't take long. Even if you read one or two verses from a chapter every day, you wouldn't take too long. And you say, well, I just don't have time. My goodness, a friend of mine who's a pastor said, Meg, I had to get off of Facebook because I found myself drifting for hours on Facebook. And I get it. Now, for me, that's not where I'm at, but the reality of it is, is I know our culture. Our culture has time to check our phones, We have time to get coffee. Oh, I got to get coffee this morning. I can run and go get my coffee. That's fine. If you can make time for coffee, you can make time for reading your Bible. And I'm not trying to say it has to be an either or, but my point is we we check our phones. We get coffee. We call friends. we, We look at our internet sites. We do things that are important to us. The things that are important, you always squeeze in. And my hope and my desire 
is for you to look and say, you know, there's things that are not bad. Like, oh, maybe me reading the newspaper. It's not a bad thing to read the newspaper. People don't get the newspaper anymore. I get it, but I still do. And the reality of it is, is if it came down to like, like, look, Mike, what are you going to do? I try to read my Bible before I read the newspaper because I got to make a choice. And if something would happen and all of a sudden my schedule didn't allow me to read the paper or cut down my reading time, I've read my Bible. Look, read your Bible, memorize your Bible, study the Bible, do this on your own. We are not a, a, an organization that controls you. But I constantly ask people, do you know what the Bible says? And it's like, from other churches, and it's like, no, they don't even know the gospel. And that's why, again, we're going to go over the gospel. The five topics of the gospel, man's a sinner, Jesus God and man, Christ died for our sins, Christ rose again, faith alone. But more so, all of you should be able to say, I can walk through Proverbs. If you're somebody that's been a believer five years, 10 years, 15 years, every month, every day, you're going through Proverbs day after day after day. Wisdom should embody you, just be a part of you. Look at verse five, acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Look at, don't forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will guard you, love her, and she will watch over you. The idea here of acquire is the idea of this is make this an effort, a pursuit. So this isn't just, okay, you know, one day, you know, like today, maybe you're going to go out and you're going to maybe go to dinner and you're going to have an opportunity to pick something at a restaurant. This isn't what I'm trying to get at. This isn't like an arbitrary choice. This is a mindset or a commitment where this is an all-out effort in your life. Now, all of you, you have interest in sports, you have interest in, in, in home stuff, you have interest in you know, hobbies that you have. None of that should take precedence over the Bible. What God here is trying to say is this needs to be a priority. And I try, and, and I guess you can try as a father to do your very best. When my children, I've shared this before, I don't want to repeat, but I used to put my children to bed and my one of the things I would do is I would tickle them and I wouldn't stop. And they would say, stop, stop, stop. I wouldn't, you know, say, stop tickling them until they said, I want wisdom. I want wisdom. Dad, I'll always pick wisdom. Well, the reality of it is, is children don't always pick wisdom. But you hope by God's grace they get saved and they'll, they'll eventually take wisdom. But the hope and the desire here for me is I recognize this how important it was to drill into my children. And last night around midnight, Joshua came home from work and I just said, you know, Josh, before you go to bed, I wanna ask you a question. I said, throughout your life, have I emphasized wisdom and the benefits? And he said, oh, absolutely, Dad. Now, if Josh chooses not to take it, that's fine. I mean, that's not fine, but that's his choice. But from my perspective as a father, I don't wanna fail my children. I want to look at the example that Solomon gave to us through what his father did to him. Great moments are born from great opportunity. Solomon was given the ultimate choice. God comes to him and says, you can pick anything you want. And Solomon didn't just say wisdom out of an empty you know, situation. It was out of his parenting. 
So how can we apply this? When we look at this or illustrate it, David could tell Solomon why it was important to him. And I was thinking to myself when I go through this and I look at this and I was illustrated like, you know, telling the bedtime stories. Well, what if Solomon said, Dad, was this really always important to you? And he'd say, you know, son, when I was a young man, Samuel came to my family's house and he said, we're going to pick the next king from my, 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 my family. My brothers all got lined up. I was in the backyard. And, and my brothers were bigger and more and very, very handsome. And yet all of those guys were passed by. But I was just this young boy. And then he might have been 12, 15 years old. Why was I picked, son? Why was I picked, Solomon? Because I want you to know God saw that I was always a man after God's own heart. I can tell you, Solomon, that being a man after God's own heart is that is my passion. It was my desire. I'm always thinking about God. I'm thinking about putting his, his honor and worship and praise to him. It is something that I am always thinking about when no one else is looking. And Solomon, this is something that I want you to have. I'd say, what? Because you can train a heart. You can train yourself with your passions. Someone says, what do you mean? Yes, you can. It's no different than when you learn a food. Now, someone says, wait a second, what are you talking about? Well, like, I didn't like bananas before. I didn't like tomatoes. I didn't like broccoli. But I learned how healthy they were, so I learned to like them. And now you can say, if I had my choice, well, yeah, absolutely, I'll have broccoli at dinner. I go to restaurants now and order broccoli, all right? We say, well, Mike, that's far different than, 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 than you know, having a heart for God. In some sense, no. You can start to say, listen, I need to be reading God's word and learning more about God, and I need to pray, God, these things that I live for, these things that are from the world that constantly pull my passion and pull me away. I want to be like David. If David was a man after God's own heart, it does not say, and David was the only one ever who has a man for God's heart, or a woman who was the only one who had a heart for God. This is something that you can have as well. And so Solomon is learning from his dad that his dad had a heart for God. So when he says, acquire wisdom, go for it. Go for God's ways. David could honestly say, this was true of me in the inner person. And then he could also say, look, you know, I was writing music all the time. And my music and my passion was to be truce about God. And, 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 and obviously, we now have so many of those songs, in the, those songs in the Psalms. And so we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that David was constantly thinking and 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 praising God in music. And, 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 but the music isn't just, you know, music with any kind of lyrics. It, it was rooted in biblical truth because he knew his Old Testament. And, and David could tell Solomon, listen, I am somebody that was always looking and thinking theologically because I'm reading God's word and I know God's word. And, and obviously it comes out in my music. And he could also say, listen, you know, son, I know there are times I'm not perfect. And you know the story of me and your mother. And you know how I failed. And he could say, look, 
I want you to understand Psalm um, 32, Psalm 51, I got them right, is the, the idea when I mess up, I confess my sins and I, and I put that out there for everybody to know. And, and I think that's a great thing that David could come to Solomon and say, look, I'm not a perfect person. I have failed. And, and, and the idea too, I think, is that Solomon can understand. My dad wasn't the, always perfect. But we, we went back, and I don't know if you caught it, when Solomon talks about his request before God, and he, he lauds his father. His father, it was somebody he talks about pursuing God because he recognized Solomon did that through all his father's failings, ultimately what was overwhelming is that his father had a passion for God. Passion, a pursuit. So you say, well, Mike, that's David. What about me? Well, here's what you can tell your child about. How you personally made God's word a priority from daily reading, study, and, and so on. I, I, you can do this. Every parent can say, look, this is what I do. This is how I work God's word in. This is what I try to do. I try to make my daily reading. Church is important to me. Being in Bible study is important to me. Making choices is important to me that honor God. This is why I pursue it. And son, you can see it. And obviously, you have your son, your daughter in your house. They're going to see how you live your life. And so, but I think it's important at times to articulate it so it's just not by osmosis. And then finally, you have the opportunity, give your testimony how God has meant so much to you. And I think hopefully your children could understand that and how, you can under, how they can understand how you maybe have come from darkness to light. I try to tell my kids this and try to share with them. And you hope and you can understand. You can say, look, I grew up in a Christian home. And I was by God's grace. It may not be the same for you. I don't know what it's gonna be, how you're gonna give your own testimony. But God has given you the children that you've been given. You tell them the story that they need to hear or you get somebody else in from a different perspective. So listen, I think we need to continually tell our children about how this needs to be the number one pursuit. Great moments are born from great opportunity. And I'm gonna say to you today, when I look at this, oh, this is when I talk about why they should choose wisdom. You wanna tell your children why they should choose wisdom. But great moments are born from great opportunity. So today, I'm asking you to choose today to pursue wisdom. I'm asking you today to choose today to teach wisdom. Fathers, this is where you need to be. And some of you could say, maybe, you, I'm just hoping that this is a choice that you have made, and if you haven't, start today. Say today, I need to start talking to you about the things that we talked about today. Now, I promised you a surprise, right? And here's the surprise. And I've taught this, and I've thought about this all this passage throughout my life, but it was this week that I got this surprise for you. And it really never dawned on me because, you know, I joke about the fact, wouldn't it be great if a genie came to you 
Jeannie came to me. We'd all love that. I don't know why it never clicked in me. But I have a passage in Scripture that says, ask, seek, and knock. God says to me, ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock, and it will be what? Given to you. Do you not think it's God's will that if you want to be wise, that God would not give it to you if you ask for it? Ask, seek, and knock are present tense. You got to pursue it. And, and, and here's the reality. I believe that we even have something better than Solomon from the perspective that we now have the written word of God and we have the complete big picture. You have the key things, principles, in these 31 chapters of wisdom that you know this is the embodiment of the full essence, because I believe God gave us everything that was at the heart of Solomon's wisdom. And you have it all now. And so God hasn't come to you in a dream. God hasn't come and appeared to you and said, ask whatever you wish. But he has said, here's my word, ask, seek, and knock. And I say more and more, fathers, pray with your children and hope that they will pray with you and ask, seek, and knock. But for every one of us, God has left us with this incredible passage to show us the model of a, the greatest king of history's time, David, telling his son, hey, you got to pick wisdom. Understand the benefits, understand the pursuit. It's got to be your top pursuit. And it was a great moment. Solomon had many choices in life, but he had one great opportunity when God appeared to him. Now, I can say this. As a parent, I recognize that I get one opportunity for every child. And it's my job, my responsibility to do the best I can. But I want to do it with God at the heart. And if my child chooses to reject God, it's ultimately their part. But I want my hands to be clean that I've tried to pursue wisdom and tried to let my child know this is the number one thing. And I'm hoping every father here could say the same. And obviously every mother as well. And for every one of us, God is saying, you can have my wisdom, but I can only say this, the only way you're going to ever be able to apply it is if you know Jesus Christ. You have to have a relationship with Jesus. You have to be born again. And I pray that every one of you are. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for what Jesus gives us in the sense that he's the embodiment of wisdom. When we say he is the way, the truth, and the life, he is the only way to you. And when we say he is the word, he is the embodiment of your wisdom in word. And I pray, God, that everyone here would have a relationship with Jesus Christ and know him personally. We thank you, God, for setting up the entire structure of a family with a father and a mother in a world that's gone crazy, God, without belaboring that. We know and we understand the world is rejecting your model, even just of humanity. And what it does for us who are believers today is just show us the insanity of sin. But as people who are believers in Jesus Christ, God, today, I'm just asking, I am asking for your grace and mercy for fathers because as a father, I recognize I'm not always perfect and I fail. And I pray, God, even when I communicate that failures to my children that they understand and I'm always thankful when they give me grace. 
But I'm asking for fathers, God, to be able to take today's message and be able to continue to put it into their children's lives because it is a great opportunity that they have. And what a great moment it will be come judgment day when their children hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, come enter into my glory. And a father who is there waiting for his child would have great joy because he will be with his child forever. We hope that for every father and every mother to see their children saved. Help us, God, who are fathers, who, don't have children, who have children who don't believe. Help mothers as well. And we pray, Lord, that soon, soon, as we continue to fight for our children in prayer, that each and every one of them will come to faith. Perhaps there's somebody here who's never come to faith either, Lord. May today be the day where they think about the fact that they've lived their life foolishly and they haven't lived in wisdom. And I pray that they today would finally have the scales taken off of their eyes and they would turn to you. And for the father or mother even who hasn't taught their children with wisdom, I do pray there is repentance. This, isn't an, this is something that every parent will be held accountable for. How they taught their children. Teaching your children wisdom does matter. Children, I pray, will always understand their parents aren't going to be perfect. But how we pray for our families, that they're homes that are beautiful, as the scripture says. In Christ's name, amen.